if you'll turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Last week we looked at verses 6 through 15 and, and we saw some amazing truths. Truths like verse 8, or 10 rather, that in Him, in Christ, we have been made complete, that He made us alive with Him. Verse 13, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had to disarm the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. What Paul is putting forth here and saying over and over and over again is that Christ himself has fully satisfied the righteous demands of God on our behalf. There's such that we have been freed from the curse of the law. And the question, the question in response to, to what Paul has said, the question in response to the sufficiency of Christ, the fact that we have been set free, forgiven, declared righteous, it becomes now what? How do we live in light of that fact? How do we live as believers who have been set free? What, what then guides our living? What role, especially in that culture that Paul writes, what role does the law play? And you can see in, in, in Romans, the fact that Christ had fulfilled the law presented many of them with a great dilemma. How then shall we live? In Romans 6, they said, do we just go on sinning? If Christ's glory, if His grace and glory are manifest in our freedom and, and, and the forgiveness of our sin, do we just go on sinning? And Paul says, by no means. And the, the other side of that would be, okay, do we run back to the law? Do we, do we run back to the law and, and submit ourselves to that? And, and by no means. This is, it, he, Paul is building, please see here that Paul is building on what he said in 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elemental principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. What he's saying is don't run back to the law. Don't, don't run back to just another prison cell from which Christ has set you free. And Paul will, will, after he deals with the law this week and next week, we'll deal with the law. He says, and just so you know where we're going, chapter 3, he begins to talk about the re, where we're to go. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God. Listen, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him also in glory. Consider the members of your earthly body dead. But don't go back to the law. And you see on your handout, the main point that, that we'll really deal with over the next couple of weeks is, is, is really dealing with legalism. Legalism. And Christians are called to reject legalism in all its forms and instead cling to Christ as the all-sufficient, all-supreme head of the church. We are to reject legalism. I don't know that I could bring a stronger word in, the, I, I, as strong a word as, as, as could be put in that fill-in. Reject it. 
Everything that we see here flows from the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ having fully rescued, fully transferred, full, made complete those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, who have repented of their sins, turned to Christ. You're complete. Cling to Christ. Cling to the sufficiency of Christ. Do not, as he says in verse 8, do not be led back into captivity through the law. The law certainly, again, it played it, it had its point. In Galatians 3.24, we'll see the law was a tutor. Paul says the law was a tutor to lead you to Christ. You can't fulfill the law. You can't obey the law perfectly. That, that was the whole point. The law was to expose your sinfulness, that, that you would come to the law and you'd say, look, I fail, I fail, I fail. I need someone to do it on my behalf. Enter Christ. Enter Christ. He fulfilled the law on, on our behalf, believer. Christ's work is sufficient. Christ's work is supreme. And, and these false teachers, really, these, these, they, they were Jews and they were coming to these. It's, it's always the case. They were coming to these Gentile believers. And they were, they were saying, look, you have to add to the law. You have to add to your faith the law. And, and what that does is it, 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 it diminishes the sufficiency and the supremacy of the work of Christ. I mean, if, if let's say if Amy, and, I mean, in a silly illustration, but if Amy and her team, if they decorate on the, 9th and, or the 29th and the 30th, whatever those dates were, I, don't, I wasn't really paying attention. But whatever the, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I'm renowned for looking at you like I'm paying attention, but I'm really not. I get distracted very easily. My mind was thinking about these lights that were going off and this and this and where's my microphone and all that. But if, if she did all that and suppose we came in right after they were done and we started tweaking things. We started moving things around. We start adding to her work. All the, you know, Suddenly what we're saying to you, Amy, is your work wasn't good enough. Agreed? So don't do that. For Amy's sake, don't do that on the 31st when you come back. But, but that's, that's the subtlety of it, and we'll get to that. Christ's work is sufficient. And in any way, shape, or form, to add anything or take anything away from that is to say that it's not sufficient, that it's not good enough. And, and that's the subtlety, that's the danger. That's why we're to reject it. Reject it. And so I want to draw some truths from, from 16 through 19 today, and then next week we'll look at 20 through 23. But I want, to, I want to draw some truths that Paul gives us here so we'll understand why we are to reject legalism. And, and the first one you'll see on your handout is this. Our standing before God, the fullness, the completeness of our faith, are not to be judged or regulated by externals, but rather a love for and a trust in the completeness of Christ's work. That it is Christ's work alone that, and faith in that that gives us our righteous standing before God. Not faith plus something else. Not, not my own works. It's Christ's work. It's my faith. It's my response in faith to what Christ has done. Paul says in verse 16, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things, listen... Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And we've got to be real careful with verse 16. Therefore, let no one is to act as your judge in regard to these things. We, we need to understand the context because people use this text. People run to that text as what's called a proof text for them to do whatever they want to do and say, look, you can't be my judge. That's not what he's saying here. This passage does not point to a freedom where we as believers get to live however we want and nobody can speak to that. We, we looked at that many, many Probably one of my favorite series that we ever did was when we, when we look, talked about context. And we looked at the, the eight most abused passages in the Bible. And we started out in Matthew 7. Do not judge lest you'll be judged. Listen, that's not what that's saying. What you want it to say and what our flesh thinks it says is not at all what it's saying. Just like the other seven that we looked at. Paul is dealing with false teachers here. What he's saying is directly addressed... At the, fall, at, the, at the false teachers and them coming in and, and interposing of adding on the backs of these Gentile believers the law. Saying, look, you're not complete until you also obey the law. And this has always been the case. You can go to Acts 15 with the Council of Jerusalem. The whole issue with the Council of Jerusalem was this. Are Gentile believers fully believers? Are they fully into the, into the body of Christ? And what was the issue? Because they had not been circumcised. And, 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 and really that was a picture, that circumcision was really a picture of, of, of really what's, what's implied by the whole law. They're not complete until they work, until they take the law and add the law on. And, and, and what they're doing, the false teachers were attacking and doing that. It's the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ by, by demanding externals and adherence to externals in order for your standing before God to be complete. You, you see how it's no longer simply the work of Christ. It's the work of Christ plus my own work. And the context here is regarding the salvation. It's regarding their standing before God. What is the basis of my standing before God? Is it Christ alone or is it Christ plus works? The word judge here, when he says no one is to act as your judge, the word literally means to condemn. To condemn. And the false teachers, you see it on your handout, were coming at the Gentile believers in Colossae. They were condemning them by saying that their, their salvation was not complete in the work of Christ alone, but rather it was Christ plus certain rituals. So they're condemning them. You're not really a believer. You're not a believer until you do all of this. And what Paul is saying is, do not let anyone judge or condemn you based upon externals, and in this case, Jewish practices, saying you're not complete in Christ through faith alone. It is faith alone. And that's the issue. Do, do Gentiles have to submit to Jewish customs or externals in order to be saved and have a right standing before God. That was always the issue. We looked at Galatians not too long ago. That's the issue. Christ alone. Christ alone. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ were alone. It's not Christ plus anything. 
Christ plus nothing, Christ plus nothing equals our salvation. We have faith in that. It's Christ's work. It's totally sufficient. Totally sufficient. And Paul is warning the Colossians, do not fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap of these, of what we would call legalism. And, and before we start to think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't go back to the law. That's not an issue today. Trust me, legalism is an issue today. It is a big issue today. And if we're honest, most of us in here have a tendency to fall prey to what Paul is saying here, to fall back into legalism. And when I say that is finding our standing before God based on our external works rather than the completed work of Christ. Looking, looking to what we do or do not do for our standing before God rather than looking towards the completed work of Christ for our standing. Listen, if you have a resume, if you stand before God and on your resume is anything other than Christ, you're a legalist. Entrance into, into salvation is Christ. It's not, well, I do this, I do this, I do this, or I don't do that. Those other people do that. And I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. Look, you're a legalist. You fall and pray to adding to or taking away from the work of Christ. And, and Christians, if I'm honest, Christians have probably tolerated no sin as much as they've tolerated the sin of legalism. The, the reality is some of us right now may be uncomfortable that I'm calling legalism a sin. Some of us may be surprised at what a big deal Paul would make about it. And, and we would say overzealous, maybe they're overzealous. Super spiritual, maybe. But legalists as sinners, come on, sinners? We just don't see it that way. The problem is because we don't understand that at the core they're attacking the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ's work. That's why we would not view it as a big deal. The reality is, though, all throughout the Bible, the apostles attacked, the New, in the New Testament, attacked legalism. Listen, look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Listen, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Listen to this. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in, the, in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by the means of the word and God in prayer. It's always been the issue. Legalism. Looking to what we do or do not do for our standing or our spirituality before God. That's legalism. It's common. It has always been a means of Satan has, that Satan has used to attack. Again, when we stand before God and we seek entrance into His kingdom, the only thing on our resume is the work of Christ. It's totally sufficient. And we suddenly begin trusting in a, really a false gospel. Paul says in, in Galatians 1, Who has bewitched you so quickly? He says you're, you're believing in, a, in, a, in another gospel. He says it's not really a gospel. There's one gospel, Jesus Christ. 
death, burial, resurrection, Jesus Christ. One gospel. And, and again, all of us fall into that trap of, of doing something or not doing something and thinking that it merits standing or favor before God. All of us battle with that. I do this, therefore God must not, He must really like me. Or I don't do this, therefore God must really love me. Listen, it's Christ. It's Christ. My standing before God is through the work of Christ. Again, not saying I don't respond to that. That's a whole other issue. But I'm saying coming before God and claiming that I've done anything that merited favor or I abstained from anything that merited favor is false. It's false. It's legalism. And I, I hear this word tossed around a lot, carelessly tossed around a lot, oftentimes, let's be honest, it's rooted in our own pride and we say it to justify ourselves. So I want to define legalism just briefly as we jump in here over the next couple weeks and, and make sure we're, walking, we're working with the right definition. So you see on your handout, what legalism is not, what legalism is not. Simply seeking to obey and align your life with the Bible is not legalism. A believer who seeks to obey the Bible, who's responding to grace and seeking to align their life with the Word of God, not legalism. And that's, this is one of the ways we misunderstand it, we misuse it. You know, we, we use the word legalism and grace as a, 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 sometimes as an excuse for spiritual laziness. Nothing can be farther from the truth. And we'll get to that in chapter 3 of Colossians. You know, legalism is not a way for us to ease our own guilt of, of disobedience or to, to, be, to, to be with somebody who's really seeking after the Lord and wants to align their life with the Word and glorify Him in all respects. And, and oftentimes, we who aren't doing that and know we aren't, we'll, oh, they're just legalists. No, that's called Christianity. Seeking to align my life with the Word, repenting of sin, turning away from sin and turning to the Word, and seeking to align my life with the Word, my attitudes, my motives, my actions, that's called biblical Christianity. That's not legalism. It, it, legalism is not an excuse for us to be lazy as, spirit, as Christians. Nothing can be farther from the truth. The Bible contains commands. Believers are called to follow those commands under the guidance and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and someone who genuinely seeks to glorify God through their life, someone who generally, genuinely seeks to align their life with the Word, listen, if you do that, people are going to accuse you of being illegal. Just simply obeying the Word is not legalism. Look, when somebody, you see it in your hand now, when somebody's seeking to align their life with the Word from an overflow of being saved, motivated by love, from gratitude, that's Christianity. That's called growing up. That's called maturing in faith. That's not legalism. When it's done out of a spirit of humility and gratitude, not trying to earn our salvation, but from a spirit of, of, of having been rescued and wanting to glorify the one who has rescued us, that's Christianity. That's not legalism. When it's fueled by the Spirit, when it comes from a heart that's seeking after the Lord, that loves God, when He's our treasure, that's Christianity. What, what legalism is not, but what legalism is, so, let, so let's talk about what legalism is. So we can, we can 
identify it in our own lives and, and repent of it and, and cut it out. You see it on your handout. Legalism is treating a biblical standard of conduct as a means of earning our salvation and standing before God through our own power and then judging other people's salvation based upon self-generated externals. Legalism is when a person is trying to be ethical and obey Scripture in their own strength rather than relying on the power of God through Christ and the Spirit in them. Or when we add works as necessary for salvation and then we judge other people's, other people's lives by our own standards. The, the challenge is, listen, a legalist will be a very, very moral person. Do not miss that. And that's the real danger. That's the danger behind what we see here and why Paul fights it. Externally, they will look really, really good. But that's the problem. Paul is getting at here, uh, 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 do not judge salvation merely based on externals and thus condemn them if they do not hold to some list. That's what he says in 19. We're, we're clinging to Christ. It's not that obedience doesn't matter, but you can't determine someone's salvation merely based Upon externals, by what, in this case, by what someone eats or drinks or a holiday or a Sabbath. And the problem is, and, and this is the problem with that kind of evaluation is this, a non-believer can qualify on every single one of those accounts that Paul just gave here in verse 16. A non-believer can do that. A non-believer cannot eat certain foods. A non-believer cannot drink certain drinks. A non-believer can honor the Sabbath. A non-believer can celebrate festivals. A non-believer can do all of those things. That's the danger. And it is not that a true believer won't display behavioral patterns according to the Bible. They will and they should, but the problem is that fake believers, phony believers, can always conform to externals, always. But that doesn't make them believers. Just mere externals don't make them believers. And thus, Paul is saying that's not an accurate way to judge. And, and in that day, Paul gives you the list in verse 16. Listen, we all know, we're, if you've grown up in a Southern Baptist church, if you've been in a Southern Baptist church any length of time, there's a list of about five things and there, that, that we have lived and died on to our own peril. And the problem is these rules wreak havoc on our walks today because we gravitate back believers don't dance we've been there believers don't drink believers don't smoke they don't get tattoos they don't do certain movies we got lists you want to write we will come up with a whole new list today it's legalism I mean, there, there are Christians who see a person with a, with a cigarette and they immediately draw conclusions about that person's spirituality. See them at specific places or see them with a drink. and they Again, I'm not saying you should do those things or I'm not saying they're not. I'm saying you can't judge someone's spirituality on that. And from a salvific standpoint, we can't judge whether someone's a Christian based on externals alone. That's legalism. And that's what Paul is saying. And, and you make Christianity a game that's played externally. And listen, we're really, really good at playing the game externally. Listen, we're really, really good at playing the game externally. We're really, really good at playing the part. We know the lingo. We know the things to avoid. We're really good at, good at playing the part, playing the game. 
And Christianity, but Christianity, real Christianity, goes beyond mere externals to the heart. Real Christianity is not a game. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit doing it through me. It's not my flesh. And, and Romans 14, 23, you'll see it on your handout. Whatsoever is not from faith is sin. Any obedience that is not from faith, you know what it is? It's legalism. You're trying to earn or merit your standing before God through what you do or do not do. It's not faith, it's flesh. You're trying to earn it. And we are to live, what he's saying here, again, we're to live in light of what Christ has done and Christ's supremacy and the work of Christ's sufficiency and to dwell on that, to live in light of that. That you and I, as we saw in verse 10 of chapter 2, are, are, have been made complete in Christ. And from that position, we're to love Christ and love one another through an overflow of having first been loved. Have him been transferred from the king of darkness into a kingdom of light. Live as kingdom, live as citizens of light, but not to earn your salvation. And, and what we need more than anything is a deeper understanding and comprehension for the gospel. For the gospel. Because it's there that we've been made complete. The gospel is sufficient. We need to, the gospel is not something you simply get saved by and then you walk away from. You get saved by the gospel and you live by the gospel. And, and, and we, we, we cannot, again, we can't dumb down or add to the requirements for entrance into God's people and God's kingdom. At the same time, we can't take away repentance. We can't take away turning from sin into God, but we also can't add a bunch of rules over here that are do's and don'ts either. They're just as destructive. And, and we, we don't have the freedom to make up our own rules. We don't have the freedom to add to the works of Christ as if it were insufficient or inadequate. And, and what Paul is saying here for you and I is that we must see legalism for what it truly is, an evil that must be rejected. Why? Because legalists aren't content with just being legalists themselves. They want others to fall in their trap as well. Colossians, Paul is battling with that. They're trying to bring others under their umbrella of what they believe. Listen to Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, who would have been guilty of this same thing, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when, when he becomes you, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Do you hear that? You, you, you guys are going around trying to get people to follow you and your doctrine, adding works and, and the, to the law. And when he becomes a, when someone becomes a follower of you, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Think about that. Do, do we see that? Do we see legalism as strongly as Jesus did? We must, you see on your handout, see legalism in opposition to Christ as a subtle tool Satan uses to draw people away from, his, from Christ's sufficiency and supremacy. And I say subtle because externally it would look right. Externally it looks real good. But it actually leads people away from depending on Christ. Externals, listen, externals do not get us in to the kingdom. 
And, and Jesus was very clear in Matthew 15, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles him. He goes on to say in 15, Are you still lacking an understanding? Do you not understand that everything goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach, and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those are what defile the man. For listen, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It's the heart. The heart is the issue. Some so-called believers care more about what they eat or drink or don't eat and drink than they do about their own heart. That's the problem. It's easier just to, again, even as parents, do you understand this if you're a parent? The easiest thing I could do would be to burden my kids with a, with a bunch of rules to while they're under my roof, make my life easier, make them adhere to these rules, make them look real spiritual outside, make me look like an awesome parent. The moment they get under my roof, you know what's going to happen? It's called rebellion. Because you never captured the heart. The heart. Easiest thing I could do, easiest thing we could do as a church is establish all kinds of rules governing our behavior and miss the heart. And there's a battle in all of us every day to, to, to set up just to, to govern by rules versus taking the time to mature the person and really, really capture their heart. Again, because we can't mistake a moral child for being just, be, oh, just because they're moral doesn't mean they're a believer. Just because they're good doesn't make them a believer. Just because they don't give you a hard time and they're an easy child to raise. My, my dad would say that all the time. He'd say, Chris, you were, a, you were an easy kid to raise. You did not get us into much trouble. Guess where? I was still going to hell. Until I repented of my sinfulness, my self-righteousness. Because listen, you know why I did most of what I did? I did everything I did to, because I wanted to look good. It was all about appearance. It was all about people-pleasing. It was all about what others thought about me or what I thought others expected of me. It was not done to the glory of God. Christianity is me, again... Many of the behaviors may look the same thing, but they're done to the glory of God, not to the glory of self. And they're done in the strength that God provides in the person of the Spirit living in your heart, not according to my own strength. That's tiresome. Trust me, that was tiresome. Performing. You know what's freeing? Filling myself up with the Word of God, Colossians 3.16, letting the Word of God richly dwell within me, and then letting the Spirit live through me and guide and direct my externals. Not that I'm perfect, but I think I'm maturing. And Karen may disagree on some days, but in general, I think I'm, mat I'm, moving, I'm maturing. But it's powered by the Spirit. And these things do not, again, externals do not make us righteous. They do not help our standing before God. Diets and calendars and festivals and days of the week. Well, look at what Paul says in verse 17. They're a mere shadow of the things that are to come. I mean, think about it, David. Do you love Jen or do you love her shadow? 
You love Jen. I didn't fall in love with Karen's shadow. I fell in love with Karen. Why? Because a shadow lacks substance. Christ is the substance. A shadow simply implies that the real substance is there. Look to the substance. And again, we're talking about the law here. Hebrews 10, whoever wrote Hebrews said the same thing. For the law, listen, Hebrews 10.1, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Simply conforming your life to, to the law, to externals, to rules, does not make you perfect. Matter of fact, Paul says the exact opposite in Colossians 2.10. And in Christ you have been made complete. He goes on in chapter 10 of Hebrews to say that Christ offered one sacrifice for all time and sat down. Why? Because it was finished. We, we come to Christ through Christ. I mean, we come to God through Christ. Not through externals. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. Again, it is Christ who makes us complete. And Paul, you see it right now, is going to great lengths to show the inadequacy of human traditions in compared to the sufficiency of Christ and His work. And, and it's, again, subtly what you're saying, just like the illustration I, you know, and that was off the cuff, so it was dumb. That just came to me at the time. But you're saying that Amy's work in decorating this church is not complete when you come behind and you start doing it yourself. It's insufficient. And as we said, Galatians 3.24, the law was simply a tutor to lead us to Christ. We have the real substance in Christ. He goes on to say, you don't need the tutor anymore. Christ alone offers us the righteousness we need in order to be reconciled to God. Christ is enough. That's what Paul just said in verses 10 through 15, a very, very complete and thorough picture of the salvation that Christ has completed and all that he's done that the law could never do. Matthew 5, 17, Christ, it says he fulfilled the law. Why does he say fill and not, not obliterate it? Or some other times I hear people say canceled it out. Because the law, Romans 7, was holy and good. It was from God. But he fulfilled it. He was perfect. He was our substitute. He fulfilled it. Romans 7, Paul deals with that. It's not as though the law was not holy or good. It came from God. It's just it reveals our unrighteousness. It reveals, it reveals our inadequacy, our inability to be obedient to it perfectly. And again, rather than dealing with the new heart and rather than dealing with that, we just try to moderate our lives through externals. And, and it's why legalism is so dangerous and so harmful. And, and, and again, not to, be, not to be crude, but it's why a person, in, in legalism, a person could be secretly enslaved to pornography or greed or coveting or gluttony but, it, but keep, they keep the rules externally, and we think they're great. They look righteous. But internally, totally unrighteous. That's not Christianity. It's not simply adhering to some external rules 
all the while. I mean, it would be like my kids, if I tell them, go clean your room, and they go clean their room, and I think, man, I'm a great parent. They did exactly what I said. All the while they're cleaning their room, they're cussing me under their breath and mumbling and grumbling. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a heart. A heart. God's not looking for a bunch of His representatives running around here grumbling and complaining about the burden of the law. Why? Because He's freed us from that law. It shouldn't be a burden. Serving Him, glorifying, should be a joy, not a burden. It's a privilege to declare the name of Christ. It's a privilege to have His name above us. And again, what He calls us to, therefore, becomes a privilege. Why? Because He did it for us. And you see it in verse 18. Let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions you have seen, inflating without cause by his fleshly mind. That word inflated, he's pointing to the pride that comes with legalism. Legal, legalists are always proud, which is funny, because they are proud of their humility. There's irony there. They're proud of how humble, they're proud of that. The heart of legalism is pride. They pride themselves on keeping standards. They pride themselves on how they've made themselves more acceptable to God, their spirituality. And listen again, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is, is, is going after these Pharisees, again, because of the evil and the destruction. He says in verse 23 of Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Listen to what he says. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup, clean the inside of the cup, and of the dish, so that the outside may be clean also. Where does righteousness flow from? From the heart. From having a circumcised heart, as he just said earlier in Colossians. A new heart. And, and most of us, we have a tendency to fall into legalism of judging people based on externals. And that is, that is really, really dangerous in America a country that has historically been built on Judeo-Christian values, where even if you weren't a Christian, you were raised with more or less Christian values, and so externally, a lot of people look really, really good. And yet, internally, they've got a dead heart. They may be moral, but they're spiritually dead. Some of us in here, we may be moral, but we're spiritually dead. That's what, again, that's what I'm trying to avoid here. I do not want, I don't, again, uh, John Piper, I was reading something uh, this week, and, and John Piper was dealing with some things in his own church, and, and he, he made this quote. He, he was in the church, they were battling, he was battling with his church and falling into the trap of legalism and rules and all that. And he was fighting that, and, and they were coming against him saying, well, you're just saying do whatever. And he says, no, that's not what I'm saying. He said, listen, here's the danger, and here's why I'm so strict on this. He says, for every one person that is in hell because, because of, uh, in this case, it was alcohol. He said, for every one person that's in hell because of alcoholism, there's 10 million in hell because of legalism. I don't think he's wrong. He's wrong. 
Satan is, people are going to hell because they believe the lie of Satan that just being moral or good or adhering to some externals makes them sufficient, and it's not. That's not Christianity. The real issue here, again, it's a hard issue, and legalism attacks the sufficiency of Christ. That's why Paul is railing against this. And, and he's attacking, again, legalism boasts in self and self-sufficiency rather than the sufficiency of Christ. You've exalted yourself over Christ. And, I mean, and, and I, we're... We, it's part of our immaturity, part of a lot of things. I mean, I'm amazed, and I, I, I was thinking about this this week, and, you know, I, ba- I battle, I'm a people pleaser, and I, that's one of the many, many sins that I battle with. And, but I, I, whether I should say this or not, and, but it really is a warning. Just the, how subtly legalism and pride and all these things can can step in and, and the, the derail. I mean, Paul, Paul caught a vision of heaven, and he didn't tell anybody for 14 years. When he did tell us in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, it was less, maybe less than clear. It was humble. I mean, to, and, and, and instead of gravitating to that, instead of gravitating to this word, you know, these people supposedly went to heaven for 60 seconds. We write books about it. We travel all over the world telling ourselves about it. And we as Christians, we believe them more than the Word. Like, we're more encouraged by their testimony than the testimony here. I don't believe for one second what they're saying, first, first of all. But, but again, the pride. I mean, heaven's real? No kidding. No kidding. I don't need a 12-year-old to tell me that. I don't need somebody to go to heaven for 60 seconds to tell me that. The Word of God tells me that. John tells me that. Jesus tells me that. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. The place I go to prepare for you has many rooms. And, and, and in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm preparing one for you. Look, I don't, need, I, don't need a, I don't need anyone to tell me. I don't need to watch a movie about it. I don't need to read a book about it outside of this book. I believe it. I'm... Maybe I'm that stupid, I don't know. But, but it's pride, it's pride. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, I'm not, I'm not, again, I can be sarcastic as the best, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm simply cutting at our pride and our lack of reliance on the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ through this word, that we would read those books and be more encouraged by those books than we would by this book. That's the challenge. And even that, why do I not like that? It cuts at the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ and what He has said. I don't need to help it out. I mean, I'm certainly not, you certainly don't expect me to believe one of you more than Christ. Because He's already told me heaven is real. I don't need any of y'all to go to it, check it out, and come back and tell me about it to encourage my faith. Christ's word is sufficient, but, but again, the point is this, nor do I need to do or not do certain things to help Christ out either. He's sufficient. The, the challenge is this, in response to, in response, think about this. I don't know how this is going to come out, but it's coming to me. Think about this. In response to Paul's vision, 
What God give him? A thorn in the flesh. Why? To keep him humble. God went to great lengths to keep him humble. To, to exalt the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ, not Paul. Paul said three times, take this away, take this away, take this away. What was God's answer? For my grace is sufficient in your weakness. For my power is perfected in your weakness. A group of people that just simply trust and live a life in the overflow of what Christ has done, God's power is perfected and shown to be great in that people. Not a bunch of people who set up a bunch of rules, and, and, and it's like putting training wheels on your kid's bike and never taking them off, and then your kid boasting about, or in our case, our family loves to go bowling. You know, Sarah's not in here, is she? Okay. This is about Sarah. Sarah bowled a strike one time, and it hit the bumpers ten times. She runs back, Dad, I got a strike. I got, you hit the bumper. T- I didn't dare say that to her. I'm not that dumb. I'm thinking it. But she's prideful. She didn't get a strike. The bumpers. She hit them ten times. Like the ball didn't go two feet in the lane and hit the first bumper. You see it on my point? Pride. And you go to 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2. God went to great lengths in the gospel to destroy our pride. Paul went to great lengths in how he preached in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I did not come to you with superiority of speech and all these other things. Why? He says very clearly in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the sufficiency of Christ. Christ. And listen, we'll take some lumps. We'll be accused of a lot of things. Jesus, again, I'm not, again, this, I've not got one thing in mind or not, but I'm just saying, guys, we have to fight legalism. Fight it. It's an evil. It attacks the sufficiency of Christ. It looks good on the surface. It looks real good on the surface. And yet, and yet it never attacks the heart. Fight it in our homes. Fight it with our kids. Fight it in our own lives. Fight it in here as a, as a group. And Satan would love to destroy the unity here. He'd love, number one thing, destroy unity. The easiest response to that is to throw up a bunch of rules on top of us. We can't do that. And, and by God's grace, as long as I'm the pastor, however long y'all allow me to stay around, I'm going to fight that. Legislating us by a bunch of rules versus hearts that grow up, that feast on the Word and grow up on the Word, and then, and then lives that are lived by saying, look, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. What glorifies Christ most? That's a heart. Versus just going to the rule and following the rule. It's a, it's a, you know, Paul talks about it. It's a heart that would legislate our freedoms, not a rule. You're free. Like Clay said, you're free to love Christ and serve Christ in a way that never they had in that Old Testament in the sense of only the priest entered in the presence of God. Hebrews says, draw near with confidence. You and I can barge in on God anytime we want. 
as believers. Why? Because of the sufficiency of Christ's work. Nothing, not, not because I'm the pastor, not because I preach. No, because of what Christ has done. And Paul continues, and you see number two, I got, to get, I got four minutes. In order for us to grow as believers and experience real power and change in our lives, we, we must individually and corporately hold fast and treasure Christ. Which means humbly letting go of some things. Loosen our grip on self, loosen our grip on pride, loosen our grip on legalism, grab tightly to Christ, cling tightly to faith. And again, you see it on your hand now, the goal behind legalism, the goal behind all of this, Satan wants to take our focus off of Christ and his sufficiency and supremacy. And it's subtle. See, legalism, legalism doesn't explicitly deny Jesus. That's the challenge. It, 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 legalism won't say it is law instead of Jesus. They're, they're not saying forget about the cross. They're not saying forget about his life, his death, his burial. They're just simply saying do that plus. See at the subtlety? Just add to it a little bit. I mean, you come in here after Amy and your team are decorated, you don't have the nerve to say that's garbage, but you know what you do? You suddenly start moving stuff around as you would like it. You rearrange it as you would like it. You're not flat out saying Amy's stuff is garbage, you're just putting doing it your way. That's the subtlety. It's not a total, it's not, they wouldn't, they would be so bold as to just totally deny it's just Jesus plus. Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. And again, verse 18, they delight, inflated without cause. The word there, inflated, literally means wrongly directed humility. Wrongly directed humility. It's almost the same thing Paul says in Philippians 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit of one person. Do nothing from selfishness, here it is, or empty conceit. Again, and it, and it looks wise. It looks like it's sourced in human wisdom. But listen, the root of legalism, you see it on a handout, is self-righteousness and unbelief. And, and again, we're so tempted here because we want to be accepted before God. We want God to like us. We want God to approve of us. We know God loves holiness. We know He loves righteousness. We know He likes all these things. And so we connect the dots and say, look, if God likes these things, then if I do more of them, then God will like me more. That's the lie. God loves His Son. He's satisfied in His Son. Christianity is being engrafted into His Son. You are in Christ. We spent two weeks at the beginning of Colossians talking about what it means to in Christ. There, you are in Christ, believer. Therefore, God loves you. Why? Because He loves His Son. He loves His glory. You don't need to add to it. Look, my son and daughter do not need to get straight A's in order for me to love them more. They don't need to clean their rooms in order for me to love them more. They don't need to do anything in order for me to love them more. My heart and Karen's heart for them is that they would love Christ with all their hearts and their lives would flow out of that. Not spend their lives... You, could you imagine as a kid spending your whole life... If, what, what would that do to you as a parent if I found out that my two kids spent their whole time trying to earn my love for them? When my love was there for the taking. That's legalism. 
And, and I don't want us to fall into that way as Christianity where we think we've got, we do all this stuff not out of joy, but out of burden of earning something that's already been earned for you in Christ. Trust Christ. And Paul is saying, don't sacrifice your freedom in Christ by submitting your life to a bunch of man-made rules. He has canceled the bondage of the law. Stand fast in that. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Not free to live for Chris, freedom to live for Christ. I'm now free to serve Him in a way that I was not when I was in sin. And do not let Satan defraud you of your freedom by turning to legalism. Again, verse 19, hold fast to Christ. Our only hope for spiritual growth, you see it in your handout, is to hold fast to Christ. You do not grow mature through rules. It's like, again, a kid who never takes the training wheels off the bike, never learns to ride the bike. And I pray that we as a church, our identity would be found in Christ. Listen to Matthew 15. I think I read it earlier, but Matthew 15. Oh, right before he talked about food entering the mouth and all that, he says, he's talking to the hypocrites. And this is what he says. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine is the precept of men. I, I don't want to pastor a church where we honor Christ with our lips and yet our hearts are far from Him. I don't want to pastor a church where we come in here and we come up with our own wisdom and we elevate our own wisdom on a level playing field, a level par with the Word of God. Because we can come in here with all kinds of books that are wisely written and six steps to this and five steps to this. Look, you're elevating man's wisdom to Christ. What we need to understand more than anything is the gospel. And you see it. If you asked me what I wanted for every single one of you and your children, it would be this. You see it. My desire for us as a church is that we would live lives as overflows, not of tradition, but live out of an overflow of love for God with a whole heart and gratitude for our salvation, and look out for one another in our pursuit of holiness and another's pursuit of holiness. Not looking around to see if we can catch somebody stumbling. Looking around to see if we can encourage somebody in their pursuit of holiness. Not looking around to trip somebody up, but not looking around to please God externally. Be honest with our sin. Be honest with our struggles, but, but, but serve out of a heart that just simply is grateful for what Christ has done. And the battle is, you and I tend daily, listen, I'm closing, I promise, to forget the gospel. We tend daily to forget the gospel. We tend daily to forget the implications of the gospel. And we need to be reminded. Reminded every single day that our standing before God has nothing to do with our performance for God, but has everything to do with Jesus' performance on our behalf. We need to be reminded of that. To be reminded of the gospel, 